we're going to begin with a video. Some of us are individuals who are audio learners. Some of us are visual learners. And so a video would take care of both the audio and the visual. So that'll take care of both of us. So we're going to have a video right now. If you read chapter 9 before you came to class, you realize that each word that was spoken in the film are the very words that are in your Bible. And what we have here is that we have a life-changing encounter with Jesus that changed this man's life. And yet at the same time, in the midst of all of this, we realize that there are, are those Pharisees that look at him as a man who is doing just the opposite of what Moses would want him to do. What they do not realize at this particular time is that Jesus has come to give them a new way of life, no longer under the law of Moses, no longer under the way of being guilty of sin. He himself knows that he will go to the cross. And because he knows he will go to the cross, he knows that, that because of that, that there is a new way of redemption, that there is a new way of life, that there is a new way of approaching God that has never been. You remember that sometimes he even used illustrations like you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. That's what he was trying to tell these people at this particular time, but they would not listen in spite of all the miracles that he had performed. And yet this was one of the greatest miracles. In fact, it's actually called a messianic miracle. There were certain miracles that Jesus would perform that would say he was the Messiah. And one of them was to heal a, a man born blind. Not a person who, was, who could one day see and then because of some accident or some disease that they could no longer see, but a man who was born blind. Regardless of what Jesus says to them, you will notice that they are very angry because he does things on the Sabbath. And I know that that would be very confusing to you because there's a possibility that, well, you look at the Bible and you say, well, God said that we are to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. So why, why, why is Jesus doing those things on the Sabbath? You see, there were certain things that the Pharisees decided what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And one of them was that you couldn't do the very spittle that was performed on this man. You couldn't take clay because you were working. You were working when you made that clay and put it on his eyes. Jesus did those things to show them that their way of looking, their pharisaical way of looking at the Sabbath and many other things was absolutely wrong, that God did not have all of that in mind. In fact, when you actually look at the things that you could do on the Sabbath, 
there were 21 pages in the Mishnah that talked about what you could not do on the Sabbath that was, performed, that was written by those Pharisees and scribes throughout the years. So with all of that being said, we can understand the conflict that is going on here. The conflict is that the reason that they cannot believe in Jesus is because they say he is a sinner and regardless of what has taken place. Jesus, the light of the world, has given light to this man, changed him completely. This encounter has been a life-changing event. And I would hope that you would walk away from this class thinking about the life-changing event that has happened in your life. I don't know exactly when it was. I don't know if it was in summer camp. I don't know if it was because a neighbor came to your house and began to tell you about this man Jesus. I don't know exactly how it took place, but you have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus if you are a believer. I want you to notice something as we walk through this lesson of the degree of him coming to this understanding where finally he says, I believe, and he worships him. At first, I want you to notice that he calls the man Jesus. Look at verse 11. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to, the, to Siloam and wash. At first, he's called the man called Jesus. That's all he knows. It's much different than when he finally says, Lord, I believe, and worships him. The point that I'm trying to make is that there is a, 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 a progress of events that takes place not only in this man's life, but in your life. When you came to first believe that Jesus was the Son of God, it might have been that you just knew him as Jesus. My personal experience was that way. There was a girlfriend who lived across the street from me when I lived in Roswell, New Mexico. Yes, where the aliens were. My girlfriend's daddy was a preacher. And so the only way that I could hold my girlfriend's hand is if I went to church. And most of the time, I didn't listen to the sermon. I was too interested in holding my girlfriend's hand. By the way, I was 12 or 13 at the time. But for some reason, something happened on one particular night 
And the invitation was given. And I walked down that aisle crying like a baby. And the only thing that I said to the preacher, and I can still remember what I said, I want Jesus in my life. Now, that was at 12 or 13. As you know, a lot of times that when you are a teenager, you kind of forget about God. And that's what happened to me. It was not until I was 19 years old that Jesus became more important in my life. And at that particular time, I went through the Jewel Miller film strips. Some of you might know that. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. That's not important. And at that particular point, I was baptized into Jesus Christ. It was a wonderful experience. If you want to know more about that experience, just talk to Mike. He can tell you what it's all about. He can tell you that, what the emotions that go through you, you, you. Those of you who have been a believer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then I went off to college. I'd worked in a grocery store ever since I was a 10th grader. And in my yearbook, it says that Skip Clark, by the way, my name was Burt Clark. That's my real name. I'm Skip only by a nickname. Burt Clark was going to be a store manager of a grocery store. That's what it says in my yearbook. And that's what my plans were. I went to college, put my wife, Pat, through. My wife died in 2005 of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. I put her through first, and as I did, I was working at the grocery store. I had intended to go to school, get a business degree so that I could be a better store manager. But across the street was a Church of Christ Bible chair. And every evening at 6 o'clock, they had devotionals. When I would get off at work at the grocery store, I'd go across and I would be a part of those devotions. And all of a sudden, my life began to change. Grocery store wasn't that important anymore. It became that Jesus was more important. And I started taking Bible courses at night. First one I took was Old Testament. I was hooked. I was hooked. I knew right then and there that I needed to know more and more about this book that we call the Bible. And so I got a degree at Eastern New Mexico University in Bible and history. And I was taught by the head of the department, Bible department, a man by the name of Stephen Eckstein. Some of you know his son, Ryan Eckstein. He used to teach Bible classes here. What I'm trying to tell you is that 
all of us go through this event, this progress of what it is to know Jesus. And as it comes, we'll notice that not only does he find himself as calling him the man Jesus, but the next thing that he says is he is a prophet. And then the third thing says he's the man of God. And the fourth thing that he says is he, he is the son of man or the son of God. And finally he says, Lord, I believe. I don't know where you are in your development. Maybe right now Jesus is just Jesus. And soon he will become more of that. And there will be finally a moment in your life when you say, Lord, I believe. And you worship him. And he becomes the number one person in your life. And so with that all said, that's exactly what we're talking about when we come to this, this lesson. Is that this man has come to a life-changing event in his life and he wants to share. When I think about this, I, I want us to turn our Bibles to the last few verses in chapter 20 of John. And I want us to read verses 30 and 31 just one more time. We've looked at this before. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How wonderful it is as you sit here today that there is life in his name because of what you have believed and because of the obedience that you have, that has happened in your life. And as I say that, I know I might be talking to someone who is yet a believer. And I would say, allow, allow the Holy Spirit to really use your life that you come to that understanding of belief. What is life in his name? In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through a knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, so that through these we may escape the corruption that is in the world and that we can become now listen to this, a partaker of divine nature. As you sit here this morning and you have allowed Jesus to become that part of your life that is number one, you are becoming a part of divine nature. 
and you are escaping the corruption that is in the world because of these promises that's been given to you. The many promises that are found in the Bible. And that's the beauty of what this man is experiencing. As he comes to know this belief. The process of this man born blind is a journey. And what we see is there is a tremendous joy when he comes back into town and they know him only as the beggar who sits by the temple to beg. I'm the man, he says. No, you just look like him. No, I'm the man. I was blind, and now I see the joy that was a part of his life. And we know that kind of joy. It's a powerful lesson for us that we come from unbelief to a joy that's unimaginable. This man born blind had a a mundane existence, uh, physical and both spiritual. And bringing meaning and purpose to his life was a beautiful thing as Jesus made him blind and made him to be able to see. Though he was there every day, he was overlooked. He was just an object. He'd been there day after day after day begging, and he was just an object. An overlooked permanent fixture. Is there any overlooked permanent fixtures in your life? Anyone that you see on a daily basis, just like so many people saw that man, jingling his little pan, wanting for somebody to put another coin in there? Is there any overlooked permanent fixture in your life? Wanda's not here, but you're here. (laughs) Amen. You'd think that I would bring water, wouldn't you? Gary even asked me, and I don't know where it is now. Did I leave it back there? Heaven's knows. Hmm. Thank you, Alan. Makes a lot of difference. As we begin to see this, I hope that there's no one in your life that you just overlook every day. Just there. They're there every day. The second, the third thing that I want to talk about is this pure obedience of this man. From the very fact of going to the pool of Siloam, which was quite a walk for a blind man. You had to go downhill most of the way to the pool. 
from the temple. And yet he was willing to do that just because of pure obedience. This pure obedience will result in the loss of his parents' support. They don't want anything to do with him because if they, if they say what has actually taken place to him, they'll be kicked out of the synagogue. And the synagogue was a place of fellowship. It was a place of friendship. It was a place that you belonged. And they didn't want that. The scriptures even say that. The only reason they said, ask him. We know that he's our son. We know that he was born blind. We know that he was healed and he can see. But we don't know who and why. Ask him. He's of age. Pure obedience allowed him to lose his parents, even his identity, and even to the point of being questioned and reviled by these Pharisees. He is a sinner. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I do know, the one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. There's going to be obedience in your life as well, and you will pay a price because of that obedience. Becoming a child of God, allowing him to be the Lord and king of your life, that pure obedience is costly. I don't know exactly where your life is, but I would hope that as we look at this story, that we find a place for us to look at it just one more way. I would like for us to begin reading in verse 18, 15, 16, excuse me, verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. I want you to know that there were those Pharisees in this midst, in this group, that they were questioning whether or not he truly was the Son of God. That division goes on into chapter 10. Look with me as we look at chapter 10, and let's begin reading in verse 19. Chapter 10, verse 19. And there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of a man who has been oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Even when the man was before the council, he said, no one that does not know God cannot talk to God. How is it that this man who you say does not know God, how does he have the power that he has? 
It's a beautiful thing to think about what's happening in this man's life. At this point, I would like to ask each and every one of you if there's something that has added in when you look at this particular story. Does anybody have a, a comment that they'd like to make along this line? Anything that comes out as you look at this story that's so powerful, so life-changing. I've been told I have yes. Before you become a Christian, the Word of God does not really have a real big meaning to you. But once, once you become a Christian, it comes alive. It has meaning and purpose like it's never had before. And I think that's so true. That that's exactly what's happening to this man, is that there's a new perspective, that things begin to change, and especially the Word of God. Yes. Bob. Bob is saying that God cares for each individual regardless of who they are. And that, that's so true. And that's one of the biggest meanings that we see in this particular story is that God's not just looking at the persons that are perfect and got it all together. God is concerned about each and every person upon the face of this earth. And once we realize that, all, every person has purpose and identity. They can only be found and realized because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes. So many times, and I'm just repeating what I heard, so many times what we look at is that we look at the Pharisees and we wonder, why are they so stupid? Why can't they see this? When in reality, that's us. We allow our traditions, we allow our, our way of thought, we allow the way we've been raised to channel us to the point that we can't really see beyond what is really there for us. And sometimes that's exactly true. I'm a perfect example of that. I'll just tell you honestly. I was one of those people who felt like that women shouldn't speak in the assembly. And through the study that I've been going through in the last several weeks, I find that there's a different approach to this that I've never looked at before. And I, I truly had shadows around my eyes. And so here at 78 years old, I've got a new beginning. It's, it's kind of refreshing to look at it in a different way. The very same blindness that the friends of Job has had were the same blindness that these men have, and what is our blindness? What are the things that we are blind about? And I think that's a good thing for us to, 
think about this morning. I think that's one thing that we can walk away with this morning is what is it that's blinding me from seeing a more dynamic, more personable, more powerful Jesus? What is it that's holding me back? Regardless of who I am, regardless of if, I, if I'm a believer or unbeliever, what, what is, the, what is the, my blindness? What is my blindness? Great. Very good, Don. The biggest thing that they kept them from their blindness was he did something on the Sabbath. And Don is saying, maybe my blindness is that all I do is come to church. Did I say it right? Very good. There's times that we, we need to be able to see Jesus. And sometimes there are certain things in our life that we they question. Why is it that I need to be baptized? Or why is it that I need to take the Lord's Supper? Or why is it all of these things? And then all of a sudden that becomes very meaningful to us when we approach it in a different way. I'm going to have to stop now because uh, I took 10 minutes last week that I wasn't supposed to have. So if you'll hold your question and give it to Gary next week because he'll be teaching. <laughs> uh, thank you for your comments. Thank you for your attention. God bless. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.